You're listening to the newest episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life, with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 48th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. I have a very special episode planned today with guest Nigel Beckles. Nigel and I met when he invited me to be a guest on his podcast, which I loved, so I wanted to share him with you, my audience. Nigel is the author of How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes and the forthcoming title, How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities, due out in 2021. He is a certified relationship coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, and relationship specialist. He is also an advocate for victims and survivors of domestic abuse. Today, I asked him to talk about narcissism, a topic he knows well. I know you're going to learn a lot from him. I know I do every time we speak. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to having this conversation about narcissistic personality disorder, and I know you are an expert on the topic. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So what made you interested in the complicated world of love and relationships? Well, my first book is called How to Avoid Making the Big Relationship Mistakes. And I've made most of them, if not all of them. So I really started the research to kind of discover more about myself. And I suppose it's like, well, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? Because it is a very deep subject, covers a vast variety of different topics from the emotional to the scientific. So that's really how I started doing the research for the book but really it was more a journey of self-discovery for myself in many aspects yeah I know that when I write a book sometimes that's exactly the motivating factor that's really cool and I know because we've been having some conversations pre-show about your editing now on a new book I think that that's about abusive relationships can you tell us a little more about that book and how that came to be and what you hope to accomplish with it Well, that book is called, or will be called, um, How to Avoid Abusive Relationships, A Guide to Toxic Personalities. Mm, Nice. With the first book, I had written or typed about 800 pages. And obviously no one wants to read an 800 page book. So my editor got it down to 400 pages, which is still quite a hefty book. Obviously, I had material left over from the first book. So I didn't start this book, the forthcoming book from scratch. I already had material I hadn't used for the first book. So that was helpful. But saying that it's still taking me five years of research to complete the draft as it did with my first book. So you have about a five year cycle when you're writing a book, huh? Well, yes, it's, it's not planned like that. It's just how it's turned out. Because when you're doing research and I am a rabid researcher, I will always find something else I would, or see something else. And I'll think, hmm, maybe I should include that. Or, you know, let me delve into this particular topic. There's always something to discover. I'm a very curious person. But it's got to get to the stage when you're, well, when I'm writing anyway, I've got to get to that point where I say, this is the cutoff point, this is the end. Because once I've got the draft, I will always be fiddling around with it and playing with it and adding things and amending paragraphs, etc. But once I send it off to my editor, that's it. My job is done. That's right. You're done. <laughs> 
it's quite a process writing a book. So I'm, I'm really glad that you're doing that because there's people who really do need to know about identifying toxic personalities and relationships for sure. Can we talk about one specifically, um, the narcissist? Can you tell us how a person could recognize that they're actually in a relationship with a narcissist? Well, there are several red flags or warning signs. The problem that we have is narcissists can be very charming and charismatic, and which is how they entice people into toxic relationships in the first place. And unfortunately for many people, they don't realize they're in a relationship with a toxic personality until they're in it. They are red flags. I mean, if you look at the criteria, really we should have a look at or talk about how a narcissist is diagnosed. So if a narcissist goes for an assessment or potential narcissist, we should say, then there are nine main traits that they are assessed on. For example, say arrogance and domineering, grandiosity, preoccupation with success and power, belief of being unique or special. Those are a few. If anyone wanted to find the nine main traits, I'll find it online very easily. I don't expect people to remember. Sometimes I struggle to remember them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they're nine main traits. But for me, those traits describe attitudes. They don't delve into behavior, which is really what you're looking for in terms of red flags. So, for example, someone who is hypersensitive to criticism someone who may give you the silent treatment if you disagree with them, someone who's prone to sulking, someone who's prone to having temper tantrums if they don't get their own way. Those are just a few. I know some people who might fit that description for sure. <laughs> when you're in relationships, let's just go to the general relationship. I think you talked with me earlier about how important boundaries are. Can you talk a little bit about that? How, how do you create a personal boundary when you're in a relationship? Well, it's more difficult to create an effective boundary when you're in a relationship. Mm. It's always your best bet to have your boundaries set up prior to getting into a relationship. In my first book, I've got a chapter about personal boundaries. I've also got a chapter called I'm being single. For me, a period of being single is the perfect time to work on yourself. Uh, but going back to your question about boundaries, very important, very important. I, I always say, whether it's a family member, a romantic partner, friend, colleague, whatever, never allow your loyalty to become slavery. Because sometimes for various reasons, we can stay in contact or involve ourselves with interactions that are not healthy for us. And we have to have a clear idea as to what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. I always think of the comic book, Superman. His weakness is kryptonite. And for abusers, their kryptonite or their weakness is people who have healthy boundaries. Oh, so it's likely that someone like a narcissist isn't going to get involved with a person with healthy boundaries. Do they scope out their potential partners in terms of lack of boundaries? Do they know that ahead of time? Well, they won't know that ahead of time, but what they will do, they will test your boundaries to see what they can get away with and what they can't. Besides abusers, besides narcissists, abusers obviously don't like boundaries. I like that idea about being single and working on yourself. What are some of the things that are important for people to do while they're single before they get into a new relationship? 
well, work on any potential emotional issues they may have or emotional baggage, as it's called. Because I tend to observe that there are people who have a relationship cycle or a relationship pattern. So they tend to be attracted to the same type of personality and eventually the relationship fails and they move on to another person and then that relationship fails and so it goes on. Unless you deal with your own emotional stuff or baggage, as it were, the partners may change, but the actual relationship outcome is the same, which is a relationship failure. There tends to be a lot of finger pointing that goes on when a relationship is failing or has failed, obviously. But we all have to take stock of how we contributed to that interaction or that relationship. What did we bring to the table or what did we fail to bring to the table for that matter? But unfortunately, there are people as well who go into relationships as a form of unpaid therapy. Oh, say more about that. There are people who go into relationships hoping that their partner will fix them. At the end of the day, unless you're a qualified psychologist or therapist, then obviously you're not equipped. Some people are still dealing with their own issues, let alone trying to help somebody with theirs. So really, it's a hiding to nothing, not likely to succeed. Working on yourself, I advocate. And if that requires going to a coach or seeing a therapist, what I like about the Americans and other countries is they're very therapist friendly. And what I mean by that is there is no stigma. I mean, I watch a lot of American TV shows. So, you know, there's always always usually a therapist or a coach somewhere in the storyline. But I think that's a really good thing. In the UK, there's more of that stiff upper lip, you know, don't show any emotions kind of thing. But Obviously, as we both know, that's not healthy. Right. I would say America is working to reduce the stigma, but I think the stigma is still there. Oh, I, okay. I think there's less stigma with coaches and still some stigma with counselors. So I would like to see it become more friendly towards clients in that area and get rid of more stigma. But I think we are better than some other countries, I would agree. <laughs> in that single phase We're doing work on ourselves. We're getting our act together and maybe becoming the person that a healthy partner would want to have in their life. That I think would be a great goal of being single. Are there things in that single stage that you would want people to be looking for in a potential partner so their relationship will be healthy? Mm. Well, I should just say, I don't think it's a question of working on yourself to find yourself a suitable partner, a person should be working on themselves to be the best version of themselves, regardless of whether they're in a relationship, looking for a relationship or not. Absolutely. Um, That's my, that's my point of view in terms of what should someone look for in a potential partner? Well, I always say the vast majority of us, when we go shopping, we make a list. We make a list because we want to make sure we bring home what we went out to get. And I don't see dating as any different. You should have a clear idea of the qualities you're looking for in a partner. So that's what you go home with, (laughs) to coin a phrase. So I call those traits the seven essential qualities you should look for, or ECTs, I call them, essential character traits. So emotional openness and availability, someone with integrity, someone who's responsible and mature, someone who's got high self-esteem, positive attitude about life and committed to their own personal growth and kindness. Kindness is very important. You don't want to be with somebody who's unkind because straight away you're you're looking at a potential abusive situation right there. Absolutely. That's a great list. 
What importance, if any, do you place on values in a successful relationship? Paramount. Many people think if they share the same interests, that's a good foundation for a relationship or to build a relationship. So, yeah, we like the same thing. Yeah, we like pizza with pepperoni. We both like horror movies, etc. That is not really going to be a solid foundation. You need to be looking at shared values and shared beliefs. You've got a much better chance of success in a relationship if you share the same values and beliefs effectively. If you believe the same things, and even if you look at relationships where there are different religious beliefs, for example, someone could be a Christian, someone could be an atheist. Now, that may not necessarily be the best <laughs> combination, but at the same time, you know, if they both respect their beliefs, as it were, there's a possibility it could work, but again, probably going to be an uphill struggle. So I would say, you know, beliefs and values are most important. Well, how do you think people who are dating get at those core beliefs and values? Is that a hard conversation to have? No, it's, it's just a discussion. The problem that I observe is that a lot of people rush into relationships instead of taking their time during the dating stage. Steve Harvey's book, Now Act Like a Lady, Think Like a Man, he recommends like a 90-day probation period, like if you start a new job. So you get to know the person. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint to get to know the person. Obviously, you ask them questions as you're going along. I don't recommend the what I call the interview date when you're asking someone like, you know, 20 zillion questions <laughs> on the first date. <laughs> like you're date. a reporter. <laughs> yeah, you know, so I don't recommend that. But, you know, if you're, you know, but if you're dating somebody and, you know, you're taking it over a course of, you know, a few months, well, that's ample time to have discussions to find out where they're coming from. And so it sounds like if you know what you're looking for, those seven character traits, and if you match up on many of your values, I'm sure that's not a guarantee for a healthy relationship, but it definitely increases your odds. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, definitely. Again, you know, a lot of people get caught up in the falling in love, Romeo and Juliet, Hollywood movies, Sleepless in Seattle, etc. But real life isn't like that, generally. I'm not saying you love at first sight doesn't exist, but then my, often my question is, well, was that love at first sight or was it lust at first sight? Right. I've had some lust at first sight relationships myself <laughs> and I can distinguish it's not love. It is truly lust. Well, um, I think we could all hold our hands up to that one. <laughs> so what do you think gets people in trouble as they're dating? Do you think that they start to compromise on the things that they're actually looking for? How do they justify getting involved with someone who doesn't match what they've committed themselves to doing? Do you think that happens a lot? Well, that depends if they've actually done the work to sit down and think about what they want in the first place. That's point one, because if you don't know what you want, you're not likely to get it, are you? And then again, it depends where the person's coming from. So, for example, if a person has codependency tendencies or traits or now called self-love deficiency disorder, people say there's a certain amount of stigma attached to the phrase codependency. So basically a codependent is a caregiver. They can often be created in childhood. So say, for example, they have a parent who has a drug problem or a drink problem or mental health problem. The child ends up being the caretaker. So the roles are effectively reversed. So when they become adults, they've still got that tendency to want to caretake. 
the worst thing for a codependent to get involved with is an abuser because the caregiver is always going to be giving and the abuser is always going to be taking. And I should just say as well that codependency can actually be created within an abusive relationship. Someone can go into a relationship, very high self-esteem, great self-confidence, but the goal of an abuser is power and control. That's what they're about. And the easiest way to get somebody under your control is to break down their self-confidence and to break down their self-esteem and isolate them. That's another tactic that they use. It can be difficult. As I said, have a good, hard, honest look at yourself if you need to go for therapy, coaching, because there are traits that can make a person more susceptible to get involved with an abuser. They've got people-pleasing traits, for example, or if they've got low self-esteem. Those type of things are going to make a person more vulnerable to becoming involved with an abuser. Right. And the one that's doing the caretaking is trying to fix them. I think that that's a dynamic that happens in relationships. They believe that if they just love their partner enough, it will heal all their wounds and they'll become capable of loving them the way they want to be loved. Hmm. Well, Wesley Snipes has a, a saying I like. The person who enters a relationship seeking to change the other person sets the scene for a great deal of conflict. That's very, very true. I would totally agree with that. I wonder about the opposite being true. Do you think that there are some people in that dating phase who have their non-negotiables so high that they just can't find somebody to love because nobody matches their vision of perfection? Well, no one's perfect, but at the end of the day, you have to be realistic. So I suppose it can be a fine line, but if your expectations are too high, then obviously that's going to lower your potential list of partners or who you're likely to meet. Say you're a young lady and your criteria is, well, my potential partner must earn £100,000 a year or $100,000 a year and must have a middle management job or higher, etc. Well, there are not really that many men or even women for that matter who are going to necessarily fit that criteria. So you've probably ruled out maybe 90% of the opposite sex population (laughs) straight away. That's right. Yep. Sometimes I think people do that to protect themselves because they're really not interested in getting into a relationship. So it's easier to date and say, yeah, no, you don't match. No, you don't match. And they just go through their life alone because it feels safer for them. Well, if they're happy alone, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, relationships on, obviously that's my area of expertise, but I always say, you know, the most important relationship you should have is the relationship you have with yourself. That's right. You know, I always see people or hear people saying, oh, well, you know, 50%, you know, I bring 50% to the table and you can bring 50% to the table with the assumption that two 50% is going to make 100%. Well, no, it doesn't really work like that. 50% is still 50%. You should be looking at yourself and saying, well, as an individual, am I at 70%, 80%? Because that's what you're bringing. (laughs) Yeah, because that's what you're bringing to the table. That's right. As a relationship expert, what advice would you share with our audience about love and relationships beyond what you've already talked about? Oh, wow. (laughs) That could be a long answer. Well, really, know what you want. You have to start at the beginning. I tend to look at things in a very logical fashion. As we both know, relationships and marriages are very easy to get into, not necessarily that easy to get out of, especially if it's an abusive situation. 
So uh, yeah, yeah pay, know what you want. Learn about the red flags or potential red flags. Because sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we fall in love. And I like the phrase fall in love because the word fall implies an accident. You fell over or you, you tripped over. <laughs> Which for many, many people, that's what happens. In business, there's a term, as I'm sure you know, called due diligence. And I think the same should apply to potential relationships. And when you're in the dating scene, you carry out your due diligence. You carry out your due diligence before, then you're less likely to get yourself into a bad situation later. That's really smart. I like that answer. <laughs> Are you available to help anyone who might be listening in on this podcast? Oh, yes. I'm a certified relationship coach. I have a website where if someone's interested in my coaching services, they can leave a message on the website, which I will get. And I do a free 30 minute consultation um, nice. to explore what the issues may be. Because with coaching, coaching is about setting goals for the future. Therapy is about unpacking issues from the past. So That's a great two, way to distinguish the two, yes. Two different things. So for me, when I speak to a potential client, if I feel it's more of a therapy service they require, then there are colleagues I can refer them to who are qualified in that area. But if they're coaching, they're interested in finding a healthy relationship, yeah, I can assist them with that, certainly. Okay, wonderful. And so what is your website and how can they contact you? AuthorNigelBeckles.com. That's my, well, one of my websites, but I can be contacted there. I'm also a podcaster. So, and I have a website for that, which is called um, AuthorNigelBecklesPodcast.com. They can leave a message for me there. And uh, my email is Beckles13. So, my surname is B E C K L E S, digits13 at hotmail.com. Thank you so much, Nigel, for being with us today. It's been a pleasure. I know you have many more pearls of wisdom for us that you could share. So I may be looking at having you back if you're willing. Happy to come back anytime, Kim. All right. Thank you so much. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. You just finished listening to an episode on the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast. If you like today's podcast, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Instagram. You just finished listening to an episode on the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast. If you liked today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at the Relationship Center on Instagram. I hope you'll join me next week when the topic shifts from couples to parenting. I'll be talking about parenting adult children when they're making mistakes. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. 
to listen to past episodes, please visit our website at www.therelationshipcenter.biz forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe.